Hi, and welcome to the Voice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sobolski. Stay tuned for a quick message from our sponsor. How? 9000, Skynet, or your EMR? Which has done more harm to the world? One really only imperiled a few astronauts. One tried to take over the world itself, and the other was in the Terminator franchise and was really unpleasant. Okay, so EMR didn't really try to take over the world, just the healthcare world, and the results have been, well, unpleasant. We've all seen the studies on burnout and the role EMRs play. What are the real causes? What can we do about it? Don't suffer burnout by a thousand clicks. Read Suki's paper on the causes and solutions to physician burnout. Go to get.suki.ai. That's get.suki.ai to download. And now, to our show. Hi, and welcome to the Voice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sobolski. I am joined by my co-host, as always, Dr. Reed McClellan. Reed, say hello. Hi, Matt. It's great to be here with you today. It's good to have you, Reed. As always, we have a special guest right out of Nashville, Nash Vegas, Tennessee, to talk to us about something that's actually quite serious. Uh, Dr. Alex Jahangir from Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Um, he is here to talk to us about all things COVID, vaccine distribution, administration, disinformation, and more. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned for Alex in just a moment with me and Reed. All right. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So great to be here with both of you today. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you with us. Um, you know, just for the audience, just to reiterate what you do, um, tell us, um, you know, what your title is now and what you're working on regarding COVID so our audience has a sense of your role. Sure. So I am, since the very beginning of COVID in Nashville, which is the beginning of March, um, I was named the chair of the Metro Nashville Coronavirus Task Force. Um, I'm also the Board of Health Chair, um, which is the role I had just taken on right before COVID hit Nashville. Um, in this capacity, um, you know, literally from the very first day that COVID hit our, our city, um, I've, I've been working with the mayor um, and, and a group of some very, very smart and um, dedicated individuals to work on our response um, to, to the coronavirus here in Nashville. Now, all of this... Um, it's kind of maybe take a lot of people by surprise because my day job prior to this, and actually while we're still doing this, is I'm actually an orthopedic trauma surgeon. So I'm, I'm full-time practicing orthopedic trauma surgeon. I take care of broken bones. I can tell you a lot about bones um, prior to March. But now, you know, it's been a really interesting transition for me to be able to go from that to what we're doing here with coronavirus. Well, if only coronavirus could be x-rayed, CT'd, and casted, uh, you know, that would be a much easier solution. So I got connected through you uh, through one of your contemporaries, Dr. Bethany Gallagher. So I'm appreciative of her connect. And I've heard about the work you were doing here. Um, so yes, fascinating that you're orthopedic surgeon and you're in this role. Um, tell us, you know, we, here we are. It's, uh, you know, January 2021. Um, we are at all-time highs in a lot of categories. We don't want to be with COVID. Um, the vaccines are here. Um, tell us, just give us a summary of where we stand, current state, what your vision is, and what's happening in Metro Nashville and maybe the Tennessee area, if you don't mind. Sure. So, you know, when where we are today is, is this. Um, Tennessee is still one of the highest per capita places for COVID in this country. 
Um, three weeks ago, we were per capita the worst place for coronavirus anywhere in the world. Not just the U.S., but the world. Literally, I think maybe Ecuador or Peru were, was below us. That's unbelievable. That's yeah, unbelievable. It, it's it, it is, and and I think um, you know what what, but what I think um, is really, I guess, what I'm proud of in our role with the city is in the summer, Nashville was one of the worst places in Tennessee for this. And now we're like 50 or 55 per, um, out of 95 counties. And so where Nashville is, is we're in a much better place. We um, were one of the first places in the city to put in safer at home orders, to put in mask mandates, um, to establish a free testing site for our residents that now over 300,000 individuals have gotten free tests. Because um, I think the only way we were going to see this invisible enemy was to make it visible. Um, and now as we start rolling out vaccinations, and, I, and I'm so excited about this. In fact, I just received my second vaccination earlier this um, earlier last week. And I actually this weekend went to our place where we're doing vaccinations and was giving vaccinations myself to um, people who are 75 and older. And so as we start vaccinating people, uh, um, you know, th this is really exciting. But, but here's another fascinating fact about Nashville. Over 10% of our city has had the virus. So we're a city of 700,000. If you look at the MSA, it's 1.9, but any reference I make to numbers is really to that 700,000. We've had almost 80,000 people test positive. God knows how many haven't tested that had the disease, right? And then currently there are nearly 8,000 individuals actively infected with coronavirus in Nashville. That means 1% of every Nashvilleian right now is actively infected. And I tell you that, but then also just told you that we're still ranked 50th out of 95 counties which tells you how rampant this disease is in Tennessee and frankly, in the Southeast. Alex, what scares the living hell out of you about that? You know, what scares me is, um, is, is this. Uh, another thing I've really been thinking, working a lot about is um, hospi hospitalizations, right? Um, I know you all are aware of this issue a lot, but I spent a lot of time yesterday working with the hospital systems in Nashville as well as with the state government figuring out how do we keep people um, who need healthcare here in our region to get healthcare? And I'm not just talking about COVID. I mean, my gosh, our hospitals are packed here in Tennessee, just like they are everywhere else in there. And Nashville is a city that has so many great health systems is no exception. Um, but there are people, what, what I think is gonna be interesting is all cause mortality, I think is, is, is going up all around us, including probably in, in our own region. And so what worries me is, um, Yes, vaccinations are coming out there, and and people are hopefully going to get vaccinated, and and we can and I'd love to have the dialogue about what, why some people may not be getting vaccinated, and and I think that people, some people are taking this seriously, a lot of people are not, and all that to be said at the end of the day leads to um, people getting really sick, and people filling up our hospitals and dying, but and people who need healthcare needing to be transferred seven hours away for something that we could take care of in our region. So what really worries me is, is that all cause mortality will go up, not just COVID mortality, because we are just not doing the things we need to do to, to ensure that our hospitals um, don't get filled, that people don't get sick. And I think this is a problem that will hopefully resolve in the next month or two, but until then it can cause a lot of problems for us. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're hearing a lot from the medical community, about these pressures that you describe, as well as sort of these secondary impacts that uh, um, are intense. You know, uh, one of my psych uh, contemporaries told me he views this event as the Hiroshima of mental health, for example. 
uh, and the fallout from that is going to be um, harrowing. Um, yeah. We could go down a great long list of, of all that we're mentioning here, uh, but I think for our listeners and for you, Alex, in this position of knowledge and you know influence that you quite have, um, what's the pivot over the next two months that you see the R not coming down or some light at the end of the tunnel getting brighter? What's happening as far as you're concerned with vaccines or information or education or even staging for <clears throat> you know taking care of our population as they become sicker or exacerbate it with current other comor- comorbidities yeah so uh, you know i think one cannot on january 12th when we're, when we're taping this right now disregard the fact in one week there's going to be a new federal administration and, and if you ask me, and I've, I've published op-eds on this, I've spoken about this, so this is not um, a secret to anyone who knows me, I think one of our biggest failures in this response has been our federal response. Um, and, and so if you ask me the big pivot, and, and maybe, maybe I hope I'm not proven wrong, but I, I think that we will have a big pivot at, um, at the beginning of the Biden administration um, in regards to several things. Um, I, I think the information sharing and, and um, ability to get information about localities from different parts of the country is going to be easier. Um, I, I hope supply chains will, will improve. And um, I think the um, leading by example from up top, so um, president wearing a mask, emphasizing the importance of wearing a mask, importance of getting a vaccine um, are all going to be important. Now, that's not to discredit what I think, um, what I do give credit to the Trump administration for, the fact that we're getting vaccines now, right? And, and I think that really does have some, I think the Trump administration needs to be given credit for Operation Warp Speed. But, but to me, the big, big pivot in this whole thing, I do think we'll, we'll start next week um, with different policies from a federal level. Now, that's, that's the big, big spectrum. As we get on a more local municipality level and an individual level, having those, having not having to be worried about, are we going to get the vaccine um, to us? Or are we going to have to worry about PPE? Are we going to be worried about being told one thing and then something else happening when it comes to funding? What we need to do as, as a local, um, both local municipality, as well as individual healthcare leaders, and then just individuals in our community is um, make sure that everyone gets access to that vaccine right away. Make sure everyone has the correct information, has the ability to, to be influenced by the people who need to influence them to get the vaccine. Make sure people know there's monoclonal antibodies out there. Surprisingly, in Tennessee, we have all this monoclonal antibody that people aren't using because people are just not aware of it. This is a state, this is a literally a, a treatment that can save people right now. And, and I, it amazes me how little people are aware of that. Every time I hear someone has COVID, I ask them, hey, have you, gone, have you talked about this? So there's a lot to be done. But I don't mean to interrupt you, but a lot of our listeners may not know what monoclonal antibodies are or uh, how they would be effective. Can you, can you dive into that a little bit more and, yeah. uh, in uh, layman's terms, explain to all of us exactly what you mean and, and what we should be asking for if we do get affected? Yeah, it's such a thank you for for asking for that. Here's the thing: um, monoclonal antibodies. I, I, what I love is it's it, the best way I think people will first click to people is um, when President Trump got, uh, became sick with COVID. He said he went and got this um, experimental um, thing, and what the experimental infusion or, or injection is is um, essentially 
really smart people have, have taken the antibodies from people who were infected. Um, and, and really it's like vaccinating someone right away. So essentially you, you infuse antibodies into people's veins and then it fights off the COVID infection. It's only effective though, if you get it before you're sick, like in a hospital and before you need oxygen. So if you know you got, if you, in, in, in Tennessee at least, and, and the, the protocols are about the same all over. If you're infected um, from day zero to seven and you meet certain criteria and you're not in the hospital and you, and you need oxygen, if you don't need oxygen, you go in for this infusion, it takes about an hour, and it literally has been shown to decrease uh, mortality, decrease your need to get on oxygen, decrease your need to get into um, the hospital. As the president said, and I've had some friends of mine who've gotten it, it literally makes them feel like Superman almost right away. It's, it's really an amazing um, treatment. And I think that's what's changed since March, um, is now we have ways of treating um, people when they do get COVID. Uh, monoclonal antibodies is a big one. If you test positive for COVID, um, you're over 45, um, it's worth asking your healthcare provider. Um, it could save your life. So Alex, um, alongside that, right, it's good for us to know that that's available and that's something that um, sort of you applaud and recommend amongst your, your peers. Um, when it comes to local policy and you know, going back to schools or crowds and monoclonal antibodies and getting one vaccine dose before the second dose, do you have any concerns or any information about uh, mutation pressure on the virus as a, as a place of where we are right now with treatments and vaccine rollout? Well, I, I think um, you're referring to the new variants that we've heard about. At yes. I mean, there's some talk out there that, you know, kids being at school, even though they don't necessarily exhibit symptoms but are carriers, getting one dose of the uh, vaccine and not having the second one. Um, and, and the increase in um, infection rates are all putting uh, pressure on this virus and population to mutate it. And there's this fear of, oh my God, these vaccines are going to work, and we're going to be another two years here. Um, what do you? What's your take on that? I mean, is that is that uh, flummox or is that legitimate? So here's the thing about vaccines um, and two doses. These vaccines were studied and approved with both doses um, being given within three to four weeks, depending on which virus, or excuse me, which vaccine you receive right now. Um, I'm, I am a little hesitant to, to go with what the British have done and, and um, what some here in the US are proposing of just, hey, give everyone one dose and, and the cards will play out itself at some point. Because I think you really need to get that immunity of, of um, you know, 70, 80% of a community to be really well immune and that immunity to get 95% immunity from the vaccine, you need both. So I want to be very clear. I, I, I don't support policies to require one vaccine um, because of, of what you're pointing out, something that we just don't know, right? So if you make people partially immune and then the vaccine, and then and now people are, are maybe asymptomatic carriers and, and maybe there's other things that happen and the virus mutates, will at some point the vaccine become not effective? Uh, it's an unknown. I'm not as worried about it like big time worried about it, but it is it is an interesting thought to think through. What I'll tell people, the variants that we're seeing at the UK, we're seeing from South Africa, that a lot of people think are here in the US, um, the vaccine appears to work against those as well. So we're not at that point yet. The best way to, I think to avoid being at that point is everyone, you know, socially distance, wear your mask, get your vaccine in the appropriately recommended way. And um, hopefully before anything mutates to the point that it's not effective or becomes more deadly, um, we've stamped out this disease. This is great. I uh, want to ask you a question here, and then I want to turn it over to Reed. He had a couple of really good questions he had queued up. The, the question is this. Uh, is this lore or myth 
Would the Biden-Harris administration or anybody in any federal agency or with your own influence locally, is there any communications going on with people like CVS, Walgreens, UPS, FedEx, sort of private sector to help us with an administration of a vaccine at a faster, almost what they're claiming, wartime uh, rollout of, of the drug? Well, I'll tell you right now, the, um, I believe it's the, the Trump administration and the state of Tennessee are working with CVS and Walgreens in, right here in Tennessee to get um, vaccines to all our, our nursing homes and all our um, skilled nursing facilities. And, and I think that's going really well, right? Um, I, I think um, you know, our partnership as a, as a metro public health department with our um, more, um, I guess you want to call it operationally better private health systems has really helped us get the vaccine out to a lot of people. So, um, you know, what, what that means as we start getting, trying to get this out to more people, um, I've heard Amazon, I think you might say it as well, Amazon and, and other places. I mean, gosh, there's some really, really smart operational people that, that do things really well. Um, and I'm sure there's probably those conversations going on. Um, but the key here is you're going to need to have the supply of vaccine be so easy to, to give you need to make sure that you're able to keep the vaccine stable. You know, the Pfizer vaccine right now has to stay at like minus 80 degrees um, Celsius. Um, so, but yeah, I think there there are both private part, public partnerships that we're seeing some already, and I suspect there's probably more coming down the road. You know, Alex, <clears throat> you mentioned different vaccines, right? Moderna, Pfizer, several others are going forward. And we hear from a lot of our listeners uh, the question on, well, which one should I ask for? And to be completely honest, uh, I mean, even as a physician, when uh, babies go through their immunizations and get their booster shots, I really don't even know. Uh, is there only one company that makes those or are there lots of different companies and it's just something we haven't even thought about before? Yeah, and, and I think we don't need to think about it, right? I think at, at some point, um, so I mean, I'll get a little philosophical, right? I think so, the beauty of the age today is we all have a lot of information. I mean, I, I'm sitting here with two or three separate computers here that I can literally type four things right now and get a crap load of information in, right? When it comes to these vaccines, I think you have to have some faith that the, the FDA process has happened. And I have a lot of faith that the FDA process has happened for Moderna and Pfizer. And now um, the next, there's about two, two more vaccines about to come out um, in the near future, hopefully with EUAs. Um, and we just have to have confidence that that vaccine is gonna work as is as said. And, and, and so I don't, I don't think, um, I don't give much thought about which vaccine I, I received. Um, I think um, the, the two new ones that are coming out will be a little bit different than the mRNA vaccines that are currently available. So perhaps there'll be some out allergic reactions to one versus the other that, that may make a difference for some people. But I, I, I would encourage your listeners into my, um, you know, anyone who asks me privately is get whatever vaccine you're offered ASAP, right? Just just do it and, and just have confidence that for the most part, it's been tested as any other vaccine or drug you've taken and that the safety profile is going to be okay. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we were we were just talking about logistics and to kind of follow up on that, um, the buzzword, which is also a true scientific word, herd immunity. Well, that requires that a majority of people are immune, um, but it's not just a 51 percent majority. It's a significantly greater than that. Dr. Fauci 
has uh, even quoted, you know, 80%, 85%, 90%. The truth of the matter is we don't know exactly at this moment, but it's a lot of individuals. Right now, we our, our goal was to get 20 million people uh, w- with the shot the by the end of the year for at least the first shot, and that fell significantly short. I believe it was a little over 3 million. Can the government alone handle this, or should we bring in the private sector, as you were kind of mentioning earlier about the Amazons and, and the likes, to uh, dole this out at an exponential rate? So I think um, this this vaccination is something that we have not done in, in generation, maybe more, right? Generation is probably a more appropriate way. And so I believe, um, the, I believe the federal government should... Um, lead the the rollout as far as who should get it and and when it should be given but we have amazing logistics individuals and and uh, ingenuity here in america and and so i'm not opposed to having um these these private um partners help us get this out i mean i think the this cvs wall walgreens thing that we're doing nursing homes here in tennessee is successful so far and i i'm sure there's probably other examples as well um so, yeah, I think whatever means it needs to get vaccines in arms, we need to do. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you brought up a great point, and I, I kind of want to swing over to information and disinformation. But something that a lot of people probably don't realize is the creation of this vaccine in the timeline that we created it in is absolutely unequivocally unprecedented. It normally takes years upon years upon years, if not decades, to create certain vaccines to wipe out a, a disease. But with ingenuity and with everyone focused on the same path at hand, we were able to do it in well under one year. But unfortunately, during that time, we've been as uh, patients, uh, as just people of both the United States and the world at large, hearing a lot of information that some is we just the scientists didn't truly know until they learned more but some is really meant from a disinformation standpoint what are some of the facts you would like for our listeners to know are true facts and then also maybe some things that you've heard that are blatantly incorrect and then also where would you recommend that our listeners go to get the updates and facts because unfortunately uh the media on both sides of the aisle aren't necessarily giving us everything. Well, now that's a fact. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> and I'll also tell you there's no microchip in the vaccine and there's not some conspiracy by Bill Gates. And I know it's, some of us are probably chuckling right now, but but those are are legitimately things that are, are out there that people believe that makes them scared to have this vaccine, right? Um, what, what I will tell you is another reason the vaccine came out so fast it's not new technology per se. Um, it's, this is something that was discovered a decade plus ago with studies around HIV. Another reason it came out so fast is you said is all the efforts were on hand to do this, and there was a lot of money thrown into this. Like scientific research, when people want to cut scientific research funding from NIH and so forth, this is the stuff that impacts. Like So imagine now, this is a perfect example. You put all the money and resources and the smartest people in the world you put out something fast and people are like, oh, it's got to not be good. Well, that's not right. So it, it is it is a very scientifically driven process that we're gotten to a vaccine now that that um, 
as of in a few days from now, I'll in theory be 95% immune from coronavirus, right? Now, disinformation things. I, I think there is um, worry that this is a live virus and that you make a coronavirus. You cannot. I think there is there is there's a lot of um, legitimate distrust in, in um, minority populations and immigrant populations. Um, some of it because of worry of um, you know will the information be used for for immigration purposes from some of our Im immigrant neighbors um, to um, you know the the black community through the Tuskegee. Um, um, project that really was was a disgrace to public health. There's some legitimate concerns there, and and I think we can't we can't ignore that, and we need to educate ourselves. And then and then use, absolutely, yeah. And so I think that there are some legitimate reasons to have some some concern. Now, where I I get you know information from, I mean CDC, FDA, great university sites. Um, trust use your trusted healthcare provider and have he or she give you some advice. Um, things that I want people to not, and, and again, the monoclonal antibodies we talked about earlier, important. All this crazy talk around hydroxychloroquine, or now there's there's some other some other thing coming out now. You got to look at your source, right? And, and, I, and I just just ask people, again, we talked about earlier, I have four computers around me right now. Use your source and, and trust and, and look at your source, like think through about what you're doing, because this really is a life and death matter. And it's a life and death matter, matter frankly, for you and your loved ones. So I ask you, we'll just take a little bit of time to look through really trusted sources. I do trust government websites. I trust university websites and, and academic medical centers and other legitimate medical centers. Um, a lot of good information out there, but there's a lot of disinformation out there, which I think sometimes is self-serving for the person putting it out there. Alex. These topics have been provocative. Um, they're fascinating. I think we could probably spend all day in the conference talking about what you've learned up until now and where things are headed. Unfortunately, we're coming to time. So something I like to do and Reed likes to do as well is after a bright conversation with an expert and someone like yourself in the position you're in, we like them to you know, kind of have a last word. So considering you know, the listenership we have, which we're really blessed to have lots of folks listening, um, what was the what's the last thing that you would want them to know about what you're seeing with COVID-19 or any last word that you think is important for them to hear from you that they can share with others or at least keep to themselves that offers them some bit of information that changes their perspective on where we're headed here? I have a lot of optimism and hope today. More Even when I think right now is is such, again, cases are really high. The transmission rate in a lot of places is high. Hospitalizations are high. But people are getting vaccinated um, because there's so much disease out there. People are getting immune, even if they're not vaccinated. So I, I think that we are hitting this magic point that I think we're hitting our peak now. And over the next several months, we're going to start seeing this thing head down. And so I need people to have hope. I need people to, to don't give up their um, stay vigilant. Right. All the things we've done from limiting contact with people, wearing masks, these things have worked. I just, I, I think sometimes people, I, I said this early on and when I got, when I took this role, if we do our job right, people will say we overreacted. And so I just ask people to stay vigilant, um, have hope. Next few months are going to be tough, but I, I come spring, come definitely come summer, we're going to be at a much more manageable place with this. And, and I really think that this will be the end of this for us in the next short time. Alex, we are happy to hear that message and we're even happier to share it with our listeners in the world. 
thanks for joining us today on the Voice of Healthcare podcast. Thank you. All right. This has been the Voice of Healthcare podcast. We'll see you next time. 